This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by digital media. Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. It's a new kind of finance company. They offer student loan refinancing at low rates. SoFi members save on average $19,000. You can even save more through an employer partner program. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Today's show is also sponsored by Mac Weldon. These guys make awesome hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks. I am wearing the socks right now, so I can attest that they are comfortable and fashionable. Check that out, Duncan Jones. Have you seen socks like that? That's very nice. They're very nice. Duncan Jones has an English accent, so you know he is believable. I'm also powered by oatmeal. He's powered by oatmeal. He engenders authenticity when it comes to sock endorsements. Um, let me tell you more about these awesome socks. They're antimicrobial, so I smell great, and they're comfortable. These are substantial socks. They make you feel like a better person. They're easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. It's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. If for some reason you don't like these socks, you're probably lying, but it doesn't matter. You can keep them. MacWeldon will send you your money back because that's how commerce works in 2016. You go to MacWeldon.com, use the promo code RECODE, you get 20% off. Everyone is happy. Duncan Jones. Hello, sir. Welcome. How'd you think that sock sale went? Uh, I think that was fantastic. You, you get impressed. a full full pair of socks or only 80% of the socks for the 20% off? Uh, yeah, however it works, it's all venture capitalist sponsored, <laughs> so I don't really understand how it works, but I'm sure it's going to end up well. Maybe they're ankle socks. No, these are full. They're the full length socks. socks. They feel, they, That's again, a pretty good deal. There's real substance to them, just, just, just like you have real substance, Duncan Jones. <laughs> Segway. I'm, gonna dumb, I'm done making <laughs> dumb jokes. You make cool movies. Thank you. Let's talk about them. You, you're here to promote Warcraft. Yes. That's your newest movie. Yes. When you hear this, you will go see Warcraft in a theater. A bunch of people who listen to this podcast will know your first movie as well. That's Moon. That's correct, with Sam Rockwell, the and then there was local one, boy. And local there was, boy done good. And there was one in between that. Um, Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal. So I want to talk about that entire sort of history. I want to talk about how you got into movies. Since your publicist is here, we should talk about <laughs> Warcraft, um, which is very much unlike your other movies. It's a big movie. It's got orcs. It Demons, is. special effects. So coming as a guy who, who sort of made his bones, as who made an independent movie, yeah. now this thing I assume has a gigantic budget because there's a ton of special effects. What was that process? And, and BB's attached. And BB's attached. She's not cheap. Hey, baby. <laughs> How did you end up making a giant mega budget universal pictures special effects well, I always, I always wanted to try and make one of these big movies. You know, I, I, I think when I did Moon... Part of what made it work was the restrictions that were in place. It was a small film, small budget. You know, we kind of had a little shopping list of the things that we thought we'd be able to afford. And then we constructed a film around that. Uh, Source Code was a chance to work on a bigger budget and kind of dip my toe into the water of what it would be like working with a studio. But, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of one day at least at least trying one big movie, you know, big yeah. studio well, Your film. ambition was one day I want to make a mega budget I want to experience it at least. But I want to be able to come back to doing smaller things as well. So Warcraft is based on the video game? It is, yeah. Um, basically, the, the game Warcraft started 20 years ago. The, the game that most people have heard is called World of Warcraft, which was 10 years ago. It's a massively multiplayer game. That giant. is correct, and, and massively profitable game as well. I think it brings in about a billion dollars a year to Blizzard each year. Were you a player? Um, I was, and I yeah. actually played the original game, so I've been a fan right from the very start. Was that a requirement? Did you need to tell Universal or whoever owns the <laughs> IP, listen, I'm a big fan? Like, in the same way that, you know, yeah. the, the the Game of Thrones guys had to sort of pass muster with, I think, with George R. R. Martin. I think, I mean, they've been trying to make the movie Warcraft for a while, and, and Sam Raimi was attached for a while, and that didn't pan out. But I think when I came in as a fan of the game, it made... 
the transition may be easier. I kind of knew what I as a fan wanted the movie to be, and that was very much in sync with with what Blizzard were hoping the film could be. So in your mind, is this different than the way, the approach you'd take if you were going to make, say, a superhero movie, where it's, or is it the same sort of thing? There's an established set of characters and yeah. a fan base that no, treats the stuff very seriously. I think it's very similar, and I, th- I think in some ways... Uh, the fact that there was a period where movies based on comic book characters was were not so great, and then a generation of filmmakers who grew up reading comics started making them, and now they're pretty good. I think that's very similar to how I think it will will it will pan out with video games. Because in most cases, right, the guys making the superhero movies actually like the superheroes. There's, exactly. There's some instances and where that's not the case. But. I, I was a I am and was a true fan of Warcraft the game and and played games growing up. So I think you know maybe my generation of filmmakers are the right guys to start making that that transition from game to film. So sometimes, right, the, a game has a script or there's sort of a logical progression, but yeah. especially in a game like World of Warcraft, right, yeah. it's it's an open play thing. You go do what you want. It's you, open play, but they've got their own they've got their own storytelling that they've been doing in that game. When you play in that game, you are taken through a story, even if it's quite meandering, and they've done it for 20 years. So they basically have you know 20 years worth of digital folklore. And we're picking a particular moment. And are, are you constrained to that? Can you wander outside of that? Can you add new things? Or are you, will you hear from it from the, the core fans? I think it's as strict as a as a comic book or as a Star Wars or something like that would be. I mean, I think we need to try it. We, my job was trying to find a way to color between the lines, but to try and really, you know, make those characters come alive, make them three-dimensional and make the story that they want to tell make sense on a on a character and, and filmmaking level. So give people a sense of scope here. What What's the budget for this, or what's the estimated budget? I don't know if it's, you're allowed to throw it, a number it, out. It's, it's a large tentpole-type movie. Hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a big movie, but I mean, I think um, you can feel it. You you feel it when you watch the movie. Yeah, it, it, I saw it. It's big. Um, it's, yeah. There's a ton of CGI, right? There's orcs so, yeah. and sorcerers. And <laughs> it's, the, a, um, it's a fantasy world. But it looks like you also spent some time out shooting beautiful landscapes. Where did you film this thing? Uh, we were up in uh, Vancouver for the, for the whole shoot. So in, the, in beautiful Vancouver. you got mountains, you got woods, you got orcs. <laughs> uh, and then how long did it take to make? Well, I was working on it for three and a half years. So it was a, a big chunk of my, my career. You know, we were probably shooting for about a hundred days or so, um, but the special effects were a big part of it. So there was a long process of that as well. And then again, we're sort of alluding this: the pressure making a movie like this compared to a small movie like Moon, right? So Moon has its own challenges. Yeah. But this movie, you've got a ton of resources, and you've also got a lot of responsibility. You're out promoting this thing day after day. Yeah. What's it like interacting sort of with the studio where they've got a lot of money riding on this? Um, it means a lot to a lot of different people. I, you know, I, I kind of didn't let that part of it get to me that much. My agenda the whole time, my priority was always, how can I make the best movie I can? And I had lots of real life stuff going on in the background, which seemed way more important than, you know, making a movie. So I think that always, you know, gave, gave me the opportunity to have a little bit of context on it. But uh, I was fortunate. And like I said, the, the fact is that I came in as a fan, which meant that I was already pretty, you know, pretty well in sync with the powers that be. We should talk about some of that real life stuff you were alluding to. Um, so I think <laughs> yeah. for a long time you were referred to as Duncan Jones, who is David Bowie's kid. I yeah, if, I, if I, think, I was I, referred to at all, yeah. which I was happy not to be. And now you're referred to as Duncan <laughs> Jones, the guy who makes movies. Um, yeah. I was posting internally that I was going to go see you, and so I was like, Duncan Jones, the Moon guy. So, yeah, <laughs> you see, but uh, David Bowie was your father. He yeah, passed he um, right yeah. as you were finishing the film, or the finish the film was finished. Well, it, it was it was probably while he, while we were finishing it off. Yeah, and we'd already shot it, but it was all part of the, the special effects period. And so how did that affect sort of the the process of what you were doing, or? It didn't. didn't. I mean, you know, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing and and 
and you know we were pretty much done with the film but um you know that was part of it and my my wife actually went through cancer treatment right at the start of the movie as well so kind of bookended um you had a lot of stuff the yeah the, the film did your father get to see the movie uh, he got to see kind of a rough cut of it and, and some a couple of finished sequences. And what was his was, take on that? You know, he's a dad. What do dads do? If, yeah. they're, if they're proud of you, he was proud of me. He was he was happy that um, that I was working on something that that looked so different. And it, you know, he was excited for me. Did you? I assume you wanted his approval for each one of these movies, right? Uh, it's a big project. You've worked on it for a long time, no matter what the scale <laughs> is. Uh, it that's always nice. But I mean, I think you know, I, I really do try and make films that I am excited about myself more than than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, um, but again, this—I mean—the the thing that this particular, I think, for this one is that you're going to go make a movie that's going to be much smaller in scale after yeah. this. But this one, you've got there's a lot of money involved, and there's also a big fan base. I mean, do you feel like, all right, I've got to—I've got to step carefully here because if I make the orc the wrong way or I introduce this weapon that's not supposed to be there, I'm going to hear from it. There, I mean, there's certainly going to be a, a huge voice out there to to sort of air grievances if if they need to be aired. But at the same time, you know, I come from that same crowd of fans. So I think we all want the same thing, which is a film that makes us feel like we're being taken somewhere that we, you know, that we feel very familiar with. It's like it's like someone making a movie about your hometown or your neighborhood. You got to get you know, it right. You got to. Yeah, you got to get it right because it's going to be for the people who come from that place. And on the business end of it, do you think, all right, look, this is a movie for the millions of people who've played Warcraft. Yeah. And then maybe we'll get some other people. Or do you think, no, no, this is for a really broad audience. Some of them no, will know the game. It's got to be for a broad audience. And I think the way I was approaching it is almost like what I imagine Pixar do when they make a movie. You know, they make a movie that works for kids and then they make a movie that also works for the adults on a different level. And that's what we tried to do with Warcraft is make a film which absolutely made fans feel very comfortable that this was familiar. This is the place that felt like home for them. And then for people who know nothing about Warcraft, oh, now I understand why all of these people are into Warcraft. And, you know, it's, I think it's the same challenge that Peter Jackson had when he made his first, you know, Lord of the Rings film, The right. Fellowship of the Ring. A lot of, I remember when that came out, a lot of people were saying, ah, not that many people read Tolkien anymore. Is anyone going to go see this movie? But it was a big, exciting, entertaining fantasy adventure that brought an audience into it. And even if you didn't read Tolkien, and, and hopefully that's what we've done as well. And I guess the studio, again, is explicit about the fact that this cannot be just for enthusiasts. It cannot just be for people who like the game. <laughs> That's certainly what we have all strived to do. And I wanted that as well. I mean, as a filmmaker, I'm, I'm not trying to make a publicity tool for a particular franchise. I'm trying to make a great film. Are you signed on for sub-subsequent uh, versions I of this? Hope to have the opportunity to make more, but no, I'm yeah. not signed on. Which, to it. So you would like to do other? I'd like to do it though. More I, Warcraft movies. I would do more Warcraft movies if people like this movie, and I, I think they will. Then, yeah, I, I mean, I think the story that we tell in this is standalone, but it certainly opens up to you know following a couple of characters beyond it. And I think if I had the opportunity to do a trilogy, I would love to. I want to keep saying orcs, so maybe we'll talk more about Warcraft. But yeah. For, for a minute, we're gonna hear about. I don't know who our sponsors are, but I bet they're awesome. We'll hear from them in a second. I bet they've got good socks. Yeah, I bet. Hang on. Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a modern finance company. They offer incredible rates on student loan refinancing that saves members an average of $19,000. On top of that, members get things big banks can't provide. Perks like career services. They'll set you up with a career coach. They'll help you switch industries, and they will help you conquer your student debt. Big banks can't do that. Head over to SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at sofi.com slash legal. We're back. Duncan, we were talking about your most recent movie, but I want to go back and talk about how you got into the movie sure. business because this was not sort of something you were 
preordained to do, right? Or was it something you planned on doing from the get-go? It was a, a very long detour. I started off absolutely loving film and, and uh, you know, I never I never really got into music, which was, would have been the obvious choice, but I did get into film. And, so is, is that, a, I don't, I don't want to do what my dad does? Yeah. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah, that, it was. was that explicit? Yeah, it was. It didn't. I didn't realize that when I was really young, and my dad was trying to get me to learn instruments, and I just wasn't hanging interested, around the studio. And, do it. Um, so, but but then I realized as I got older. Yeah, I'm just I'm just staying away from that. But I was very much into film, and my dad sort of taught me how to use a eight millimeter camera and taught me how to edit using a splicer and sort of all of the sort of the, the old timey hand making films. Because um, David Bowie also do. spent a lot of time in making movies and videos early on, right? He did. He's he did. well ahead of sort of the vanguard in terms of absolutely and, um, musicians. That was something which I which which really appealed to me. And what what were your big directors? Your big movies growing up? Oh, geez, I like goofy things like Errol Flynn pirate movies and uh, and James Cagney and um, oh so you had a different movie experience than most of us you weren't like a Star Wars I'm sure you were I mean, a Star I was, Wars guy obviously but, that as well but you were but, also getting James Cagney I love the Seahawk I mean the, the, you know, there was just it was just interesting or just old movies that my dad sort of put me onto that I kind of would watch again and again. But you don't you don't leave school and go right into making movies. No, no. Um, I got I, w- I went to boarding school and I got kicked out. Um, so I, I kind of uh, felt guilty. What did you do to get kicked out? Uh, nothing. Nothing important. <laughs> Nothing's been proven. <laughs> but, they did not. They said, but, please take your money and leave. <laughs> but um, they, uh, you know, the fact was I felt really guilty about that. So I kind of felt a responsibility to try and pursue my academics as far as I could. I took my SATs. Uh, my boarding school was in the U.K., um, I couldn't get into university over there because I didn't have my A-levels. So I took my SATs, did well in that. I was a pretty good soccer player, so I got a soccer scholarship. Kate went to the Midwest and ended up going to college in Worcester, Ohio. Wow. Um, and then did well there and ended up going to graduate school for three years, PhD track in philosophy. It was what, Vanderbilt? Yeah. I got it right, yeah. Good, good for me. Good <laughs> and then, for my Google research. Yeah, nice. <laughs> three years of that and realized I didn't want to be a teacher, um, which was kind of the, the only thing I could think I could do with a PhD doctorate. Um, so my dad was working up in Montreal at the time with Tony Scott on a TV show based on the movie The Hunger. So Terrence Stamp, I think, did the sort of hosting for season one, and my dad did hosting for season two. So um, wow, I, I got to find that show. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. It, the the sort of pilot episode of season two that my dad's in was with Giovanni Ribisi. Wow, it was the the two of them. My so dad this is what mid nineties, uh, early nineties, late latish nineties. Okay, yeah, latish nineties, I think. So uh, I went up there, had two weeks, best time of my life. Uh, Tony Scott, absolute amazing man, gave me more time than I deserved. It's the director and producer, brother Ridley Scott. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I, I just knew that I wanted to do film. Tony suggested I should go back to the UK where the commercial scene was incredibly exciting and vibrant. Um, so I went back to London, went to film school, and slowly worked my way up through music videos and commercials. So how does that work? So you go into film school. This is yeah. probably your mid-20s, I assume, at this point? Yeah, yeah. And like that. So you've got a lot of resources. You're not like everyone else. But no one's also going to let you direct a movie just for giggles. No. So how do you work your way up to that point where you can make a small independent film? Uh, well, you know, made as many short films and things as I could while I was at film school. Used that to create a showreel. And just, you know, I was just knocking on doors for, you know, about a year trying to get a production company to represent me. Eventually found one and started getting smaller commercials jobs. Eventually got a bigger one with a, an agency uh, out there uh, headed up by a, a really a great guy called Trevor Beatty who um, liked you know what I had done so much that he offered me a job writing commercials because well, I was writing What was your, sort of your calling card or your style? What was the thing that was sort of getting you indoors? I guess, to be honest, it was more narrative. It was narrative. 
kind of most of the work that I was doing had a narrative element, which was kind of not as usual for, you know, the commercials world at that time in the UK. Do you remember, was there one particular sort of thing that blew people away? <laughs> I, well, there was one that got a lot of controversial, you know, notoriety, which was for French Connection UK. And it was very, very adolescent. It was two women kind of martial artists fighting and then kissing. But Sounds great. It, it got lots of newspaper headlines. And, and There you go. You know, that's the job in advertising. And is there a tension for you about I'm Duncan Jones versus I'm Duncan Jones, David Bowie's kid at no, that point? No, I, I think uh, I'd been able to kind of work under the name Duncan Jones without really any, without anyone else sort of ma making mention of it. So really. jerks like me when they're interviewing you or, or, or prospective employers aren't yeah. asking you about David Bowie? No, I mean, I, I've been able to get most of my work based on my showreel. So I'd been successful in that pursuit, you know, and then when I did finally get to do uh, my first film, I knew that that was going to be, you know, asked. And I kind of felt like, well, you know, if I can, if I can deal with that for a couple of films, hopefully by film three, yeah. people would stop asking. Eventually, yeah. Um, <laughs> so was Moon something that came to you? Was it an idea that you generated? It's such a specific... It's a space film, yeah. right? But it's it's a tiny sort of internal film. Yeah, absolutely. Time. No, it's it's a personal film in disguise. No, I, it was very personal. I, I I at the time was going through a very long distance relationship with someone on the other side of the world. I had just spent fat three years at Vanderbilt, so the the idea of feeling like you were on the other side of the world, no disrespect to Nashville, Tennessee, which <laughs> is a very nice place, just because I didn't want to do that, it felt you know I felt kind of very isolated. Um, so that was kind of what played into the into the writing of Moon. And the entire movie is basically Sam Rockwell by himself. Kevin Spacey's voice, he's yeah. a disembodied. Yeah, I think robot the, film, voice. the film's old enough now. I don't I don't feel bad about spoilers. Yeah. So Sam Rockwell plays multiple versions of himself, and 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 one of the one of the things that we did, I think at the time especially, was pull off a couple of neat stunts with Sam interacting with himself. Yeah, it's great because it's there's stunts in it, right? But it, it really doesn't feel like it's a special effects movie, no, even though it's no. in space and it's, no, it's, a, it's a it. character piece. It's absolutely a character piece. And then it's got a great sort of seventies, eighties retro yeah. look, which was, is also it was, great. It was back when cerebral sci-fi was was not was not the fad that it has become. And the, the, there was a big movie. Aliens, obviously, was a big movie. Uh, yeah, we were, we're, I think we're roughly the same age. And then uh, Outlander, Alien, the first Alien, the Ridley Scott one, yeah. and then Outland, which was Sean Connery. Right. And then Silent Running as well, which was with Bruce Dern. I don't know. Oh, that one I don't know. Seen that film, but those three films were definitely the touchstones for Moon. Okay, so I got two of the three in there. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. It's sort of the prototypical small film that has, then has a big audience, and people find it on their own. And it's kind of cult. It's cultish still, but it was a great calling card for me. And then, then we started winning a lot of war of awards. So um, you know, we we sort of cleaned up around around Europe and did well in the states. And then I got my BAFTA, which is. Uh, the British equivalent of, I guess, of an Oscar. I'm curious. I, I watched that movie. I'm, I'm pretty sure on a plane. Least ideal circumstance to yeah. watch it, but I, that movie came out in 2009, 2010. Yeah. It's right when I was having kids or started having yeah. kids. Um, so I stopped going to movies then. I, did, I saw everything on, a, on an iPad <laughs> or on the back of a plane or, yeah. or maybe at home. Um, same thing with source code. Yeah. Are you thinking about that at all, the way your stuff is being consumed, where it's going to be consumed, and whether it's going to be in a theater or at home? Or Well, I mean, Warcraft certainly is not going to be best viewed on an iPad or, right. an, or an iPhone. It's a, it's a big screen event. So certainly not in this case. I think, you know, I, I think on a ability to get more challenging content made level, you know, TV is absolutely an interesting place to be able to do that now. 
And I think whether it's Netflix or Amazon or any of these companies, I think the the ability to to make films which would not otherwise get made is, is certainly kind of made the game a little bit more exciting. So Warcraft, the idea is, look, you are you need to go see this in a theater. Yeah. I saw it in 3D. Yeah. Um, you want someone to sit their butt in a theater with popcorn and watch this thing. <laughs> or you better have a really good home entertainment system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie you're going to make after this, Mute? Yeah. Right? Mute. So yeah. are you thinking, all right, look, people may not watch this in a theater. I, yeah. might, I may shoot it differently given the fact that it might be on a small screen, or do you just go ahead and make the movie? No, no. I just go ahead and make the movie. I think I honestly believe most people – if you're able to have a home entertainment system, I think you would expect and want the same spectacle that you would get if you went to the cinema. So with Mute, no, I'm, I'm not going to be changing the way I would shoot it. But um, if people, you know, if most people end up watching that from home, I'll still make sure that it feels like a, like a piece of cinema. So you make Moon, a small film, and at that point you say, all right, now I've got a strategy, which is I'm going to make a bigger film after this, and then a yeah. really big film, and then I'm going to start toggling back and forth, and everything works out. Well, I mean, it wasn't quite that Machiavellian. I mean, I, I think uh, Moon to Source Code was a pretty kind of logical project progression and, and felt right. So a $5 million movie to a $25 million movie. Yeah. With a star, or a bigger star. With a big star, absolutely. I mean, if you kind of mirror it with, with what Chris Nolan did with uh, Memento, then going on to Insomnia with Al Pacino, and then he jumped into Batman. You know, it's kind of a similar ascent that I've tried to do. Uh, the only difference would be in this, it, after Source Code, I did try and make something else for a while and just found myself, you know, knocking my head against the wall. What was for that going to be? Half. It was a, a slightly bigger science fiction film starring a, a female lead that at the time it was just seeming to be impossible to get a film like that made. So was it the writing or, or, or creating the financing and production around it? It was, it was having a female lead. Really? Yeah. It's for the, a sci-fi film. The, so this you, was about five years ago. And people didn't want to produce that. They just didn't think that there would be an audience at the budget that I needed to make yeah. the film. So you could um, probably go back to it now, right? Or I, do you, I would love to. Yeah. yeah. No, I hope to. Or or maybe, I mean, how do you feel about making stuff for Netflix, making stuff for Amazon, where it's going to be a different, there but, are different constraints? But. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the middle budget feels like it's kind of fallen out of the film industry, certainly the, the theatrical film industry. And I think Netflix and Amazon have come in like knights on, on white horses to rescue those budgets of films. Do you feel like that's a moment in time or do you feel like they're now part of the firmament and they're always going to be around or some version of that's always going to be around? I, I, I don't know, but, um, I, you know, I, I hope it lasts. I hope it works because, you know, that budget I feel is like where some of the most interesting stuff can happen. And we'll just have to see whether audiences feel the same way and stick around with those uh, distributors. And then in terms of how you interact sort of with with your fans, you've got a big Twitter audience. I do. Man-made moon is a Twitter <laughs> handle. Yeah. Uh, are you doing Facebook or other stuff as well, or are you mostly no, a Twitter I, guy? I'm just, I just stick to Twitter and, and, and I probably tweet too much. How did you end up on Twitter? Uh, moon. Um, back then, there was no press for that film and, and no sense of how people were going to see the movie or know about it. So I, I got on Twitter at that time and started running competitions and, and promoting it and looking for screenings and letting everyone know where the screenings were going to be. I mean, it really was like a one-man press team for that And movie. was someone guiding you through that or you just no, said, I oh, just Twitter? I did it myself. Log on and figure it out. Absolutely. No, and it was completely solo. There are some people who have a stature who will use something like Twitter and it's, it's your megaphone, you blast stuff yeah. out. You're one of those guys who's replying to each of your 293,000 followers. Um, does that feel onerous? Much to my wife's chagrin. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> she loves that. She really yeah. loves it. Yeah. And again, do you ever think, all right, maybe I, maybe I can outsource some of this? I'm, I would never outsource doing this for the Kardashians. I would, I would no? never outsource it. You know, I, I feel like I've created this weird, monstrous friend um, who is all the people I know on Twitter. So I, I kind of have this ongoing relationship with it. 
And, you know, I, I'll probably need to cut back on how much I use it. But at the same time, I do kind of feel a, a responsibility, a friendship with with it. It's a weird friendship, right? I mean, a lot yeah. of people just, uh, have who spend a lot of time on Twitter, and I'm one of them, so it's, yeah. it's great. But it's also there's a lot of negativity there. I yeah. assume people come and have not nice things to say to you about your movie Absolutely. or something. Absolutely. I just, I just refuse to accept it. I, I will occasionally, I will just spend time talking that person round into being positive. Oh, you're spending a lot of time on Twitter then. <laughs> but most of the time I'll just you know, ignore those people. But no, I, I I have been known to like, you know, force them to admit that life isn't all the pile of crap that they're saying it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're like a Twitter missionary. It's great. In addition to making movies and having a kid, you're out changing minds. That's gonna change. That's gonna change soon, I think. <laughs> um, so the the next film as you're so you're gonna go from a very big blockbuster yeah. budget. Yeah. To the small film, which is kind of a sequel to Moon. It's a, it, a spiritual it's, sequel. <laughs> it takes place within the Mooniverse. So it, it takes place within the same time frame and the same world. But it's, uh, and some of the, there'll be a little bit of cross pollination of characters, but it really is an independent story. So Sam Rockwell, some version of Sam Rockwell is going to show be, up. There'll be a little Sam cameo in there, and um, but it'll be starring Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd. And a couple of other people we haven't named yet. So you want to make it similar, sort of in tone and scope, except now you're Duncan Jones, the famous film director, and you have resources. So how do you see at the beginning of the conversation? You said it was nice to have those constraints in some ways. Oh no, I think I still have them. I mean, I think uh, just just because you make a movie on this size doesn't mean suddenly you're allowed to make all the movies you want. There are still a lot of restrictions. I mean, it'll probably come in around the same as source code budget, but um, I, I think we're going to be really stretching the limit of what we can do with those resources. And so you'll start that, what, this year or next year? This year. No, I'll be going out to Berlin kind of around end of July and uh, shooting at the uh, you know the end of this year. And um, it's going to be a little bit like a Paul Schrader, hardcore meets Casablanca meets MASH, Robert Altman's MASH. With it's, some Blade Runner thrown in there, it sounds Blade, like. With some Blade Runner trappings. Oh, I yeah. want to see this movie. <laughs> I've seen all your other ones. I should see this uh, one, too. I think, you, I think you'll like it. Duncan Jones, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Duncan. That was very cool. If you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I did conducting it, don't tell anyone I really like doing this stuff. I might even do it for free. And there's more of this awesome free content. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode and Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good from The Verge. And there's Recode Replay, too. That's where you can get the really interesting live and exclusive interviews we do with people like the CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai, and Sheryl Sandberg, and Jack Dorsey, and Bill Gates, who you've heard of. All that stuff costs thousands of dollars to attend in person. You can hear it for free over on Recode Replay. Thanks to our sponsors, SoFi, Mac Weldon, Digital Media are the guys who make all this stuff sound good. This is Recode Media. I'll be back next week. See you then. <laughs>